Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. People, I have some really good news. I I am longing for you. I am longing for me to step more fully into the abundant life that's available in Christ. He says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There is abundant life in Christ. And we only have to step forward following in his footsteps. There is freedom from shame. There is a life of joy. There is a life of freedom available. I remember in 1 Kings, there was these four lepers that were outside of town. And the town was besieged by the enemy army. And they had no food. And they were starving. But God dealt with the enemy army during the night. And all of them fled during the night. And they left all their supplies in the camp. And the four lepers the next morning wandered over the hill. And the enemy was gone. And they started to help themselves to all of the goods that were in the camp. And they were eating for the first time in ages and going, wow, this is really great. And they realized, you know what? We, we, we can't just be hogging this to ourselves. When people back in the town are starving, we got to go and tell it to them. And that's the same with my message this morning. God has showed me a path out of my own shame. And it has brought me to a full life. And I would love that life for you. I would love even to step further into that life for myself. And so I would like to share with you my journey into shame and God's call for me to head out of that. I'm going to share with you three stories of when I was a young boy and how the snake of shame bit me and how it affected my life. So I was child number four in a family of eight children. There were going to be four more children to come after me. It was a growing household. So my dad had to renovate the house. I was about five years old. I was born in 63, so this would be about 1968. I was about five years old. And I was sitting at the breakfast table. And my dad said to my mom, Hey, uh, I have to go pick up some mortar sand today to do some cement block work. Uh, Do you think Benny would like to go with me? My ears perked up. (laughs) You're kidding me. That would be great. My dad would roll down the window. He'd have his arm out the window like a trucker. We'd have a trailer on behind. Uh, I'd be with him by myself. I never had my dad to myself. I I would get to ride in the front seat. That never happened with eight in our family. This was a big deal. The loader would come and get the sand and dump it in the trailer. Like, like, no, dad, like, hello, yes, I am so ready for this sand trip. Dad said, go play out in the yard, and I'll get you when the time comes. I was out having a grand time in the yard, and I didn't see the snake slither in. I didn't know what was going to happen. All of a sudden, I see my dad driving out our driveway with the trailer, without, with, without me. I can't believe this. I, I, I run. And I'm a little five-year-old guy, and I can't yell too loud, and the trailer was bouncing down the gravel drive. So, Dad, Dad, Dad. He didn't hear me. My mom came out on the front porch. She ran, Martin, Martin, stop! And my dad stopped the vehicle 20 feet from the road. And I was about 200 feet from my dad. 
my heart was crushed. Dad, how could, how could you forget me? And so I started to walk slowly toward the car. And, and my dad tooted on the horn, toot, toot. And my mom from the front porch said, you, you better hurry. But I was so hurt, that five-year-old boy in the yard, I was so hurt that my dad would have forgot to take me on the most important day of my life, gravel pickup day. I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't move my feet faster. And I don't blame my dad for what happened next. The tires started to spin. Gravel hit the trailer. And off goes the car and the trailer and my dad down the road. And I'm left standing in the yard. And my mom goes inside the house. And the snake slithers up to me. Said, I thought your dad was never going to leave you. I thought your dad wouldn't break his promise. You're abandoned. Your mom isn't here hugging you. I'm the only person, this inside voice that you can trust. And I got to tell you something. You're not worthy. That's why your dad left. That's why your mom isn't here. You're not worthy of love. Now, okay, I I have to pause here for a second. I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't have to tell you that that conscious conversation didn't happen at a conscious level in my mind. But looking back at that story over 50 years, periodically reviewing that story at a subconscious level, that's what this little boy absorbed right there in that front yard. The snake of shame convinced me, Ben, you're not worthy. That's why you were left. That's a pretty painful lesson for a little five-year-old boy to absorb. And if you're sitting here in the audience and saying, oh, I don't, that never happened to me, I would imagine if you think back through your life, you'll realize there were moments when the enemy of shame got deep into your life and infected you with a message similar to that. I know it's heavy. The message is going to get good. Hang with me. Now I'm going to roll the clock ahead about six more months. I'm maybe five and a half years old. I'm not exactly sure of my age. My dad is still working on the renovation. And piled up in the yard were old uh, windows that he had taken out of the house, and they had single uh, sheet glass in them, and they were all broken. Well, this was a five-year-old boy's dream. Like, the windows are already broken, and I can break them further. Like, that'll be really nice. Like, whoever gets a pile of glass. So I took a piece of glass. It was about the size of a Frisbee. And I thought, wow, Frisbee, you know what I'll do? There was a tree, a Manitoba maple, about eight feet from me. I will throw that like a Frisbee at the tree. And can you imagine? It's going to shatter into a thousand pieces. This is great. Except I missed the tree. And I didn't see my younger sister coming out from behind the tree. And it hit her. Not in her body. It hit her right in her eye. She was blind out that eye for 53 years of her life. Parents rushing over to my sister, in the car, off to the hospital, and I'm standing, mortified, ashamed, embarrassed. 
I ran off to hide in our garden shed, and it had wood, wood siding, and lawnmowers were in there, and the smell of grass and gas, and I got in down low beside a lawnmower, and I hid. It might have been for hours. I hid there. I am not sure. It felt like hours. And you know, while I was there, the snake slithered into the shed. The snake of shame. And you know what shame told me then? Ben, you're different. No one else in your family has ever hurt another child like you've hurt somebody. You're different than everybody else. You need to stay away from other people. You need to stay alone in your life. That's the only way you're going to be safe. So the first message shame told me is out of that front yard, you're not worthy of love. Second message he told me in that shed, you are different. You need to be alone. I remember my sister and my mom calling out, Ben, Ben. I, didn't, I couldn't come out. And the door of the shed creaks open and the light came in and my sister took me out. But I walked out full of shame. There's a picture I'm going to pull up here. And you'll see our eight children. And I am the young fellow on your left hand right at the front. I don't know. Do I look about 10 years old? Maybe 8 years old? That boy has been bit by shame. And on the right-hand side of that picture, right at the front, is my sister Mary. And she's holding her eye. The injured eye. That's tough. That's tough to deal with. Her and I have had conversations since then. I'm terribly sorry. It was an accident. But at the same time, shame had gone deep into my soul. You know, what really happened was the DVD of my life got scratched. And every time now we play the DVD and it comes to where I might accidentally hurt some, someone or something, there, there's something goes wrong in me. Some deep shame floods over me. I, I, I got a deep scratch in that area of my life, programmed deep into my mind. That's the effect of shame. Final story. Two years later. My brother and I and my sisters were waiting for the bus. We had an Esso, we lived on London Line. There was an Esso gas station in front of where we lived. It's now William Carl's uh, repair place, and it was an Esso gas station, and we were waiting for the bus, and the attendant called us. He was about 30. I was seven years old. Hey, guys, come on up here. I've got something you've got to see. So my brother and I trotted up innocently, and he pulled out from behind the counter a magazine, the center. And there was a woman without any clothing on, lying on a beach, looking at me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is this for real? Do people actually take off their clothes and take pictures? Like, what, really? And I, my heart was beating. And I, I went to the bus, and I remember sitting on the bus looking out the window and thinking to myself, that was wrong. But boy, I like that. Uh, uh, wow, man, that was crazy. Who can I talk to? Who can I tell about this? I know I'm a weird person. I already know that. That message is already in me. Who can I talk to? And you know, that snake slithered up again. And that snake said to me, you know what, Ben? I think your best way to survive here is keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. Nobody will understand. Weave a little fig leaf apron and nobody will see. You'll get good at covering yourself. It will be okay. Ben, don't tell anybody. That's shame. That's the three big messages of shame. I'm not worthy. I'm different and alone. 
I got to keep secrets. I have to hide behind fig leaves. Do you remember when God came into the garden? The first question he asked was not, did you eat of the tree? The first question he asked is, who told you you were naked? Not, how did you find out? Not, what, what, what happened? Who told you you were naked? There is an enemy behind shame that has one purpose, and that is to separate us from Jesus and to separate us from others. And Jesus came into the world to address that specifically. And I'm going to pull a verse up here. This is a beautiful verse. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The life. The life we've been called to run. Let's run with endurance. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the one who initiated our faith, and he's the one who himself went through the journey of life. And what did he do in life? Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That is a key point, that he moved forward disregarding the shame. You know, on National Geographic, there's this really good show called Shark Week. And um, excellent videography of sharks, right up close, great whites, big stuff, really good shots. The, vi- the main videographer behind that program is a fellow named Andy Cassengrade, and he was doing an interview once, and he was asked, now when you're out there without a cage, and you're taking a picture of a great white, and it comes toward you in a menacing way, what do you do? He says, well, I know this is going to sound completely counterintuitive, but I swim right toward the shark, and never once. Have I been attacked? I am not going to be its prey. I swim toward it. And that is exactly what Jesus invites us to do with shame. That's what he did. It says here, he disregarded the shame. Think for a moment. We've just been celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now you would think, come on, God, you could design a better program of stepping into the world than all of the shame associated with the birth of Jesus. Come on, his, his parents were flat broke. They had to give a sacrifice for the oldest child being born. The poorest sacrifice was two turtle doves. That's all they had. There was no room for him. Other people were staying in the inn, comfortable. They weren't. They were out in the field. Through all of his life, he was snickered at and laughed at because he was born what appeared to be out of wedlock. Come on, God. Couldn't you have designed Jesus so he could have avoided some of the shame associated with that? What about his teaching? I want you to think about Joseph in the Old Testament for a second. Joseph had a dream that his 11 brothers were going to bow down before him. I'm in a family of eight. It's a competitive environment. If I had a dream that my seven brothers and sisters were going to bow down before me, first thing I would do is just shut up. You don't need to tell that dream because that's going to be trouble. Joseph didn't. Joseph is a picture of Christ. No, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to speak God's word. I'm going to speak the truth. So take a look at Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. People were scorning him. You're just a common man. You were born, weren't you, to Joseph and Mary? What are you talking about? You're the light of this world. They called him a madman. They called him a follower of Beelzebub. But he walked forward, despising the shame. No, this is the true story. This is true me. And I am going to walk forward. And that path forward carried him to the cross. The ultimate shame. 
man spitting on him because of the message, because he declared who he was. Ultimately, he stretches out his arms on the cross in ultimate honesty and in ultimate vulnerability. Scriptures say he carried my shame. He was the one who carried my shame to the cross. He's our example. He's the one we're invited to follow. And I'm telling you, following his path, taking up his cross is tough, brutal, but it is the way to life. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And I'm going to invite you to step forward into the joy that's available. Head toward that shark of shame. I'm going to share with you some stories that I've done in my adult life to address that. I remember first coming to this church in 2008, and they were regularly advertising Celebrate Recovery. It was a, 12, a Christ-centered 12-step program for people with hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Well, the little snake told me as I was sitting in my seat, Ben, I don't think you should sign up for that. That sounds to me like people are getting pretty real there. But here's the key. I'm going to keep repeating this in my story. I made a decision. No, I believe the pathway to healing is honesty. I believe going forward in honest, transparent vulnerability is what Christ has called me to do. So I signed up for the course. Whoa, whoa. If you never did, you missed a heavy. Because step number four is to do a fearless and ruthless moral inventory of your life. Sit down and write. Date, time, when you injured and hurt another. And, and date and time when you turned against God. Date and time. Sin, sin, sin. It's difficult. I did it on my knees. I did it over a period of two or three months. It was torture. I am a redeemed son of the living God. I had to keep reminding myself as I did that. But I was walking forward in honesty. And then it gets worse. Way worse. Step number five is to confess those sins to another person that you trust, a sponsor, someone that's done this before. This is James 5. Confess your sin one to another so that you may be healed. You're kidding me, right? So my sponsor was Gary. And after I had my full list ready, I invited her to come down to the basement of my house. I opened the side garage door and I heard Gary's feet coming down and I was absolutely terrified to do this journey. But I sat, he sat down on the chair, I'm on the couch, and I went through my list slowly. Here's what happened then. Here's what happened then. Here's what happened then. It was painful. But do you know what Gary did when we were done? He unsnapped his guitar case, got out his guitar, put it over his shoulder, looked me right in the eye, and started to sing a hymn that he had written about Ben, who was the beloved son of God. It just washed over me. Do you know what it felt like? It felt like the Heavenly Father was kneeling beside me in the front yard. And he was taking his sleeve and he was wiping the tears from a five-year-old boy's eyes. And he was whispering to me, You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you're alone. You're not. I am with you. I will never leave you. I am your father. That's actually what was coming over me as Gary was singing to me. Because I was brave enough to walk forward in vulnerability and honesty. 
Ruth and I have gone to a couple of marriage weekends. Weekends to remember by Focus on the Family. Love them. Highly recommended. Do it. We were at one in Niagara Falls, probably early 2000s. And they always have an older couple present and a younger couple present. The older couple was sweet. Ruth and I just loved them. There were, I mean, the younger couple were lovely too, but there was an honesty, transparency, and beauty about this older couple that was very attractive. On date night, they happened to be in the same restaurant sitting right across the table from where we were. So we stopped, had a little chat with them, and he, his name was Peter. He pulled out a, a pamphlet of what their main ministry is. And it was out in BC, and it was a, a, a one-week ministry for couples that are hurting in serving the Lord, that have gone through some kind of pain. There's a healing process. Oh, well, thank you. Now, we hadn't done any full-time serving the Lord at the time, and we didn't feel particularly hurt. And so I tucked the pamphlet in my pocket and said, we'll look at that later. Ten years later, we had done ministry. We had felt the pain. It was brutal. And I don't know how this pamphlet ever came over me again. I'm not sure how I felt. Hey, you know what? I think we should go to that. And so Ruth and I flew out to BC. It was a one-week program. We meet these other couple. There's a lot of tears. There's tears in our heart. There's a bit of pain going on here. And we sat down the first night in a chalet surrounded by mountains. The fire was on. And Pete and Shirley, that couple that we loved, told us their story. Whoa. It was a real story. Not just the pain other people had inflicted on them, but mistakes they had made, sins they had done, brokenness in their life, and how God proceeded to heal them. And then he said, and guess what? Part of your healing is going to be to tell your story. And each one of you couples is going to be given an evening to tell your story. Well, I went back to my room terrified. Are you serious? Ruth was too traumatized even to participate verbally. Like, Ben, you're, you're kind of on your own here. I'll sit with you, but you're on your own. So I wrote out our story, and I wrote out the pain, and I wrote out the things that we had caused, even that resulted in our pain. And when our turn came, Ruth and I were in a lot of tears, and it was a, it was a, it was a difficult moment for us. But you know what happened afterward? They called all the other couples forward, and Ruth and I were down on some pillows or lower on, on the ground, and all those other couples put their hands on us and started to sing over us and started to quote scripture over us and started to pray over us. And you know what I felt? I felt the heavenly father come into that dark shed and the heavenly father said, you're not alone. These are my heavenly family. These are my children. They want to do life with you. They're broken too. They want to play in the sandbox together with you, Ben. Come on outside into the life that's available to you. It was a deep healing moment. I have one more story. So I got married uh, when I was 24 and a half years old. And my fig leaf apron was beautiful. I, I had figured out how to use zip ties. And it, they really fit tight. And I was pretty confident it was going to last the duration of our marriage. No problem. It's, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll show Ruth a bit, you know, periodically. We might just show her a little bit, but we're, she's not going to see everything. Well, good luck with that, people, if that's your plan. Because if you're going to be up against another person for 33 years, and that other person, all they do is look. They just look. They, they won't go away. They're just going to keep looking. It gets pretty hard to hide. So Ruth said to me one day, uh, hey, Ben, do you, do you struggle with porn? Do you ever look at porn? And the snake came up, and the snake said to me, that's a big one. You better keep that a secret. But here's the key words. I made 
decision to follow Christ. There's a verse I've got here. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess them and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So with fear, I said, yes, Ruth, there are periodic occasions when I have dipped into areas I don't want to dip into. But I have men that I'm accountable to. I have covenant eyes on my computer. I read scriptures every day. I am progressing. I'm not perfect, but I'm progressing toward the Lord. And I've got like a whole series of men. I, 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 I really was engaged in the process of walking a holy life. And Ruth was comfortable with that, which was kind on her part. Thing is, I never experienced the Father singing over me. I didn't experience a deep healing moment. I think God was calling me deeper. And I, I was a little bit afraid to go deeper. But I had someone in my life who kept saying to me, you know, Ben, one of the ways that was very healing for me, and this is, this is in my marriage, very healing for me, is to invite your wife into a per-incident basis. So instead of a general knowledge, yeah, 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 you know, you have periodic struggles. No, no, invite your wife right into the specific. Again, Ben, it is your healing. It's not hers. But invite her to do the journey with you. So I remember sitting down in a restaurant. We had ordered our, ordered our meals. And I sensed a deep sense that I need to move forward with Ruth on this here. Hey, Ruth, I, I have to share with you that last night, I went to a place I didn't want to go. Yes, Ruth was hurt. Yes, Ruth turned her head and looked at me quizzically like, you serious? Like, really? We have a loving marriage and we do have a beautiful, yeah, yeah. You know what I was actually craving? I was craving shame. I was craving that feeling of hot shame running. That's the sickness of shame. But do you know what Ruth did? She said, I love you. I'm standing with you. We're going to do this journey together. And there was grace that washed over me. And I have to tell you, the father sat down beside me in the bus and he leaned close to me and he said, you don't have to keep secrets. Come out in the open. He led me, First Peter says, that I've called you out of darkness into my wonderful light. And I am telling you, my journey into wholeness took a massive leap forward when we started to go at that level. And I'm inviting men. I know this is a struggle. I'm inviting others. I'm inviting everyone in the audience to step forward into honesty. This is the pathway to healing. Now I'm going to end this with a final story. Who for the joy that was set before him Remember, there's a joy. There's a joy-filled life available in Christ. And so in the fall of 2019, I went for a 40-day silent retreat in Guelph, Ontario. It was wonderful. Powerful. Yeah, I'm serious. You eat with people on your same table and you're dead silent. I'm telling you, if you want to come into the moment, do that. You put your fork into a piece of spinach and it's got a little bit of oil on it and one small piece of garlic and you're checking that out and wow, you eat that and Wow, that's interesting. Oh, there's the oil. Hmm, there's that piece of garlic. Like you're much more present and you're much more in the moment. And part of this program is they invited us to pray five separate hours a day for one full hour, each one of those five. And it wasn't intercessory prayer only. It was going back into places of our life with Jesus. Jesus, come on into that moment in the front yard. Come on into that shed moment with me. And one of those hours, you, I would meet with a spiritual director and share. And every day 
I was facing the snake. I was having to come out in honesty. This happened. But here, when I was spending time in prayer, the Father came and blessed me. The Father came and touched me. It was amazing what had happened. Well, the program ran for 30 days, and then there was a two-day respite, and then there was an eight-day ramp down. And they said in the two-day respite, you can leave if you want, or you can stay around, but stay into a posture of silence and solitude, and, but you're welcome to do anything you want in those two days. So I got in touch with Ruth. And by the way, there was no phone. I had to go to the front desk to contact Ruth, etc. And I said, hey, Ruth, why don't you come for those two days? I'll rent a hotel in Guelph and I'll take you on the walks that I've been going on and I'll share with you. I had journaled. I had journaled books of journals and I'll share with you what happened. And so Ruth and I really enjoyed those two days together. And we were sitting in the hotel room. The candles were lit. The music was on. And I said, it came to me, you know what, Ruth? This is a beautiful moment. We've done our crying. I've had lots of times I've cried, brokenhearted. But now my heart was overflowing with joy. And I said, Ruth, why don't we dance? Like Ruth and I had taken two years of ballroom dancing. I'm still completely useless. Um, the dance instructor said to me, Ben, you're a little bit Germanic. You, you, you like to march more than dance. And that's true. But I turned on a waltz and one, two, three, four, one. And we were dancing in that hotel room together when Ruth said to me, I wish people could see how soft your heart is right now. People, that's the abundant life. That soft heart, deeply connecting with Ruth, deeply connecting with the Lord. And that soft heart is available if we step forward in vulnerability, transparency, openness, following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. It's available. Come, let's enjoy the abundant life together. This is the best news, people. This is the best possible news that there could be. And I would absolutely love it if you would join me on this journey. Thanks for listening. And consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no